Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. I hope you enjoyed your spring. It was yesterday. Uh, thank you, Minnesota. But I was told, you know, earlier that, oh, by 10 o'clock, the snow's going to be done. I don't know if you experienced that on your drive here or not, but we'll get through this together, right? Okay. Uh, I want to tell you about this time. You know, I've had several false starts, I would say, on my career path. I've been running from this call to ministry for most of my life. And uh, one of those adventures was uh, I was in Oklahoma City helping a window uh, manufacturer. And they had this big warehouse. And, uh, you know, I was helping do software implementation. Uh, but they, you know, as typically was the case when we would go and do these kinds of things, they start asking you to solve other problems, too. And so uh, this one day, this is this big warehouse, and then you go into the back room of the warehouse where the big kind of, uh, where they store all the windows and everything. But there was also an area where they were, they had nail guns back there, where they were building all, it was lots of dangerous stuff back there. And the issue was that customers would just walk into the building and then go right into the warehouse. And so they were like, well, how do we get people to stop wandering into the warehouse? And I'm like, I, I don't, I guess I don't really know. I haven't really thought about it. And he, and so the guy that one of the owners is standing there and he says, well, I know what we're going to do. We're going to get a big sign. We're going to get a big sign and it's going to say, you know, no customers allowed in the warehouse and that'll take care of it. And as he's telling me this, he's holding a sombrero ashtray and he's smoking this cigarette. Like it's the last one. And he says, We'll just put a sign up there. People will follow the sign. And I'm noticing right at that moment that right above his head is a sign that says absolutely no smoking. So I said, I don't know if that's going to work out. And he's like, well, really? Why? Why wouldn't that work? Oh, just call it a hunch. So there are lots of things in our lives that we can be really familiar with, right? We can be with, familiar with lots of things. But it doesn't actually mean that those things are foundational to our lives, okay? So we can have a sign, we can memorize some words, uh, we can have our own interpretation and understanding of things, uh, and yet we can be familiar and it's still, whatever it is, is not something that is foundational to us. Because if it's foundational to us, it will change who we are and how we behave. And so today, we've come to the, the spot in the Gospel of John on our journey together where we're going to be talking about the most familiar of all of Scripture in the Bible, almost exclusively. And so you're going to know the Scripture. If you're a Christian, this is not something that will surprise you. It's something that you likely have memorized. You see this referred to at just about any sporting event. Maybe somebody's got it underneath their eyes, or somebody's holding up a sign in the middle of the field goal, or somebody's holding at a basketball game, or we've got billboards that, that say this. Uh, the reality of it is, it's not unfamiliar to us. In fact, it's one of the most familiar in all of the Bible. But my question for us today is, is it actually foundational in terms of who we understand ourselves to be and who we understand God to be as revealed most completely and fully in Jesus? So familiar is not the same thing 
as foundational. Familiar is not the same thing as foundational. I want us to think about that because if you haven't figured it out already, we're going to be talking about John 3.16. John 3.16. Now, at that point, a lot of people are tempted to just say, ah, I've, I've heard it all before. Uh, nothing new there. So I'm just going to shut my ears uh, and, and try to pretend that I'm not going to fall asleep here. If we do that, if we do that, and I'm calling myself out in this as much as I am anyone else that's hearing my voice. If we do that, then my question is, was it ever really foundational to begin with? Did we ever really, really understand what is happening here? Because if we do, then it changes who we are. It points us not to a slogan, but to a savior. So when we're talking about this and we're referring to this and we think, oh, we already know that, we've memorized that. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. When we hear that, do we think it's a slogan or do we think that it's pointing us to a savior? We're going to go over this today. Is it foundational? Is it foundational? Martin Luther once called this verse, the gospel, in miniature. Because it's not a very long verse, but it includes so much truth. We could never begin to plumb the depths of the truth contained in this one verse in just one sermon. But we are going to dig a little bit deeper today, not only in John 3.16, but a few verses after that. And my hope and my prayer is that when we're finished with this time that we can be together, that it's not just information. And it's not just that we don't think of ourselves as a kind of a fixer-upper project, but that we wholly and completely depend on the goodness and the love of God revealed to us in Jesus to transform us, to bring us into this new life that we have been talking about for the last several weeks. So uh, I'm just going to read uh, John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, we're going to explore this together, but we're not going to do it just based on our own interpretation and our own understanding. And so would you pray with me right now to ask God to come and illuminate, illuminate his word like only he can and come to do only what he can do right now in this place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that you have given us that, that demonstrates the love, the kind of love that you have for us. Lord, we could never earn it or deserve it, but we thank you, Lord, that you have come to us in Jesus and that when we believe in him and trust him and follow him, 
that you give us what only you can give us, new life in you. And so, Lord, we pray that this is not just something that sounds familiar, but instead it it becomes foundational to who we are as Christians, as followers of you. And, And if we're not in relationship with you, may this word penetrate the hearts, plant the seeds, and grow the relationship with anyone who might be wondering, well, who is this Jesus? Lord, reveal yourself to us in this place by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time. We, we ask that you transcend the stumbling and fumbling human language, and instead, Lord, that you speak your word, because that's the only thing that really, truly does exactly what it says. We surrender this time to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now remember, this little section of Scripture comes on the heels of what we talked about last week. If you were here, you remember that we talked about this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of my favorite people because I, I, just, I like the heart of Nicodemus. We're going to see him uh, two more times as we go through the Gospel of John together, but, but last week we talked about how Nicodemus is a Pharisee, he has got a lot of status, He's an important person. He's, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He's wealthy. He's well off. He's an expert in the law of Moses, not just in you know, interpreting it, but also following it and calling other people to it as well. And so Nicodemus has a lot of status, a lot of power, a lot of things, as we might say, going for him, so to speak. But he knows, with, even with all of that, that there still is something missing. He can't quite put his finger on what it is, but he knows it has something to do with Jesus. So he goes and he finds Jesus, but he does it under the cover of darkness because he doesn't want anybody to see him. He goes and he talks to Jesus and he, he comes to Jesus as a teacher. He calls him teacher, rabbi, because he thinks that Jesus can teach him whatever it is he's missing. He knows a lot of stuff. He knows how to do a lot of stuff, but yet something isn't quite right. There's a missing piece. And we talked about how it might be tempting for us to, you know, kind of point the finger at Nicodemus and say, oh, this guy doesn't get it. We don't get it either, folks. We don't get it either. We like to think we do, but we are a lot more like Nicodemus than we would ever care to fully admit. And the missing piece that he was after and that we're after is not something we can earn through our own behavior and our own understanding and our own, even our own logic and reason. It's something that comes only through God. This love that God has for us has done something for us. So Jesus doesn't give him a plan. Jesus instead gives him the opportunity to come to him in relationship with him in a way that he says, you must be born again. You must be born again. But Nicodemus, he's not quite so sure about that. He's not so sure he wants anything to do with that, matter of fact, because, again, he's got a lot of things going for himself. What are you talking about? Well, when he encounters Mr. Salvation, that is a real head-scratcher for him. Because just like the world doesn't understand Jesus. Nicodemus didn't understand Jesus. And we, when we encounter Jesus, most of the time are thinking, okay, this doesn't, I don't quite get it. 
But this is not something that we can ever intellectually understand. It's not information. Jesus is a person who comes to us. The Spirit of God then works in our hearts and reveals to us the truth about who this Jesus is. But even more than that, he does for us exactly what his word says. When we turn to him and we trust him and we believe him to be who he is proclaimed to be, then we shall not perish, but he will give us eternal life. Now, this is amazing news, amazing news. And so I want us to start by recognizing that God, remember the verse starts out, for God so loved the world, God is the subject of that sentence. God is the subject of the sentence. For those of you in uh, English classes right now, you'll know that the subject is the one who does the action. The subject is doing the work. For God so loved the world. That means God is acting here. And, and who is he acting or what is he acting upon? The world. Now we might be tempted to think, well, the world it must, must be talking about, you know, the planet Earth. That's what the world is. No. In the Gospel of John, the world is used over and over again as a phrase to describe lost, hopelessly lost humanity. Past, present, and future. Because of sin, humanity has fallen into the darkness. The relationship with this holy God has been disrupted. But God is determined to not have that be the end of the story. And so God's action toward us proves this kind of love he has for us. For God so loved the world. He desires to bring people out of the darkness of sin and into the light of a new life with Jesus. And he's, matter of fact, committed enough to doing this that nothing will get in his way. Nothing will stop him. And so if we say, well, okay, if God loves us, well, how much does he love us? So much. So much. We see that little word, so, it's only got two letters. And we think of it a lot of times as, you know, like a transitional word. Well, so I was walking my dog the other day. That's not what that word means here. So here is referring to a measurement. It's referring to a measurement of just how much God loves us. So how much does he love us? Well, he loves us enough that he sent his one and only son, his most precious, his beloved, the one with whom he is most pleased. He sent that son, his only son, his unique son. He sent his son to do for us and to accomplish for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. And he, he does it in a very specific mission. God did not send Jesus to be our buddy. God did not send Jesus so he could be our vitamin JC and we could go about living our lives in whatever way we want and we just come to Jesus and pop him like a vitamin and then, you know, we can go to the gym and lift more and do more and all this kind of stuff. I don't know anything about the gym, by the way, but I hear that's what you do there. But anyway, Jesus is not a vitamin. He's not uh, an extra thing. He's not the cherry on top of the Sunday. Jesus is the foundation of who we are, not a slogan. 
For God so loved the world that he sent this unique son, this unique son for a specific purpose. And we kind of get an idea of what that is. We're going to have to fast forward to John chapter 10. Uh, We'll get there eventually. But John chapter 10, verse uh, 17 and 18 says this, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. That is the mission given to Jesus to come to us, to do for us what we cannot earn and certainly not what we deserve. He's rescued us by dying the death we should have died in order that we might live the life that only he can provide. He was raised to new life and he invites us into new life as well. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came for that reason, not to be our buddy, not to be a mascot, not to be a slogan, not to be a sign, but to be a savior. Savior. And so God's love for us is so big and so vast that I wonder sometimes, do our lives reflect that? Do our lives really, truly reflect that? Or could somebody say to us, well, you're familiar with those words, but I can tell that's not the foundation of your life. The truth of who Jesus is is what we're talking about when we believe, not just memorizing words, but believing in Jesus and what he came and accomplished through his death for our sins and his resurrection to give us new life. That kind of love is amazing. Are you asking God to lead you to the people in your life that need to hear this message? Are you asking God to lead you to the people that he has placed you in relationship with to give this good news to those folks? Or maybe today you're here and this is the first time you've heard this good news. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. Let it be the foundation of your understanding of who Jesus is because this is not meant to be something that we keep to ourselves. We have a God who is revealed to us in Jesus as very, very personal right? He's very personal, but he's not private. Our world loves to capture and contain all of these things for our own benefits so that we can be hyper-individualist and we can say, oh, well, my God this, my God that, my God. This is our God, this amazing God. He's not pocket God where I just pull him out when I want. No, This God is the God of all, of everything, of all that exists. And he loves us so much that he sent what he cared about most, his one and only son, for us. Now, do our lives reflect that? Or do we hear that and just say, "Eh, I've heard it before, nothing new. I got to tell you, when I was preparing this sermon, I'm just as convicted by this as I'm telling you, when I sat down and I said, all right, I got to preach on John 3.16. Everybody's heard it before. There's nothing new under the sun. And the Lord, right before the first service, got a hold of me while I was standing back here during worship and said, that means you too, Bob. So do our lives reflect this foundation of truth 
that we find in Jesus? And will we actually open our mouths and tell somebody else this good news? Because how will people hear and believe the good news if we're not willing even to most of the time sacrifice just even a little bit of our comfort and convenience for the mission of the one who sacrificed everything to save us? No wonder, no wonder Scripture tells us that if we remain silent, even the stones will cry out. This amazing love that God has for us cannot be contained and cannot be contained inside of us. He will continue to accomplish his mission because it is his work. But this this kind of love, this kind of selfless love that God comes to us and delivers to us in the person of Jesus is something that we don't recognize. The world, you and I, we don't recognize this. This is foreign to our understanding of what we think love is, because at this point, the very idea of love has been so culturally sanitized that we're confused about what it even means. We think most of the time when people talk about love that we're talking about, ooh, I get the warm and tinglys inside. Ooh, it's, I'm, I'm romantically attracted to that person. I feel like I can't live without them. Uh, that is all very nice but that is not what is going on here. Matter of fact, we then start to think, well, love, if I wanna be loved the way I wanna be loved, then what that really means is that somebody will give me permission to do what I wanna do whenever I wanna do it. That must be love. That's not the kind of love we're talking about here. Even when we see examples, and we see examples all the time of of selfless acts where, where people will sometimes sacrifice their own lives to help somebody else. You know, heroes, first responders, everyday people, good Samaritans, side of the road type stuff. We see this over and over again. But what happens when we see that kind of love displayed? The world says, wait a minute, I don't, I don't really get it. Now, we don't like to talk about this, but the reality of it is that when we see the news stories or the Facebook articles or the little commentary about it, what we're really trying to figure out is why why did this person do that for this other person? I don't understand. Why would they put themselves in harm's way? Why would they sacrifice this way for someone else? I mean, did the other person deserve it? Whoever benefited, did they really deserve it? Because our idea of love hinges on whether or not we think the other person is lovable. We tend to think, well, if this person meets my requirements, then I might be able to love them on a highly conditional basis until it becomes clear that they're not going to give me what I want. So we've taken this idea of love and we've put it first person. It's all about us. It's all about me. God's love is not this at all. And so instead of asking Well, did we deserve it? Did we earn it? I want you to hear this truth today. God's love does not depend on our loveliness. God's love does not depend on our loveliness at all. At all. Which drives people like Nicodemus and you and I totally nuts. Why? 
Because it's not fair. It's not fair. Are you telling me that all this time, effort, and energy I've put into being a good person doesn't count for anything, doesn't make God love me anymore, doesn't demand that God recognize that, well, the kingdom of God would surely suffer if I wasn't in it. This love that God has for us doesn't work that way. He loves us by not giving us what we deserve. Thank God for that. Instead, he gives us exactly what we don't deserve in the person of Jesus. And so, as we think about that, what does that look like in our lives? When it comes to, are we familiar with it? Or is this a foundation of who we understand ourselves to be and and who we understand Jesus to be? Ask yourself this question. Is, Is your interpretation or is your understanding or are your preferences what is foundational to you? Or is it Jesus? Because in this world, it's real confused real quick, isn't it? Look, turn on the news for five minutes. You will see over and over again the people that call themselves Christians, you, you and me, if we call ourselves a Christian, arguing over who has it figured out, arguing over our interpretation, arguing, be, becoming the, putting ourselves in the spot where we become the stewards of saying who God loves and who God doesn't love. This is crazy. This is crazy. Is this, is this what we heard in the scripture? Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So isn't it amazing that we somehow can take this good news of God's love for us and turn to someone else and say, bad news, you didn't make the cut. You didn't make the cut. God loves me. God's really not so sure about you. Follow me, I'm right. You're wrong. The end. It's incompatible. And at the very same time, before some of you are probably getting out your phones to... Write me an email right now. And I want you to do that. I want you to listen. Uh, Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we don't have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. And it is 100% fatal. But what I am saying is that no matter what we think, of our interpretations or our preferences or our understanding or our logic and reason or who we feel comfortable with or whether somebody looks the way we want, depending on any characteristic, height, weight, age, skin color, uh, anything, any distinguishing characteristic whatsoever, if we think that somehow that person by who they are is disqualified from God's love, then we do not have the faintest idea what the foundation of this truth is. This foundation of truth is that God so loved the world that he wanted to save it through his son. So is that the message? Is that the message that Christians are sending? Or instead, are we trying our best to crawl up into the judgment seat and render verdict saying, I'm right and you're wrong? Are we prioritizing our own desire to be right over God's desire to save the lost? Are we prioritizing and making it about us rather than being who God has called us to be, messengers of his good news, of his great love 
that he has delivered to us by sending his one and only son. Think about how much in our world would be different if we just actually did what Jesus has asked. Go deliver the goods. Deliver the gospel. We've got to deliver the goods rather than deliver our opinions. We've got to deliver what actually saves sinners. You and I, no matter how much we think of ourselves, you and I do not have the power to save sinners, period. We cannot save ourselves, and we certainly cannot save anyone else. But are we pointing people to the one who can, the one who does, the one who has? Are we delivering the goods? Are we giving the gospel of Jesus? Or are we giving our commentary? Because this Jesus, this one and only son of God, this unique son, the beloved, came for us, died for us, and was raised again so that we could be born again into the kingdom of God and come to live with him forever. He paid the price for this, not with silver and gold, like Nicodemus has lots of resources. He did not pay for this with silver and gold, but he paid for it with his holy and precious, innocent blood shed for you and for me on the cross so that he could bring us out of the darkness and into the light. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because if you do, then you have already been brought into his kingdom. You've already been born again. But it's not by your own power. It's not by your own understanding. It's not by your own logic and reason. It's by the grace of God, who by the Holy Spirit of God has come to call you through the gospel to this good news of saving faith only possible by the gift and the grace of God who gives it to us. Otherwise, if we're just presented with this information, we're a lot like Nicodemus. It's a head scratcher. What are you talking about, born again? You're telling me I got to crawl back up and be born again by my mind? I don't know. What do you mean? No. From a spiritual perspective, Jesus comes and gives us this new life that only he can give, that he's the only one that is able to do it. But wow, do we tend to get this upside down. So if you're here today and this is the first time you have ever heard the good news and the first time you've ever been introduced in this way to Mr. Salvation himself, then receive him, believe him, not through your own effort, but recognize that the spirit of God is calling you through the words of good news. He has sent his one and only son to save you, to rescue you, to bring you into new life. But at the very same time, if this is the first time you've heard this, don't wait. Don't wait for this. We like to kind of see what our options are in this life, don't we? We like to just kind of, well, I don't know. Let's, let's let that marinate for a minute and we'll see how it goes. But I want you to listen to this in, in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now pay attention. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is again, this is foreign to our understanding. We think somehow that we are born into this world in a neutral position, that we're just kind of sitting on standing, sitting, whatever, on neutral ground. Well, we're going to see how it goes. 
uh, well, if we, if we kind of go this way, maybe we'll get in relationship with God. If we go this way, maybe we won't. But we're thinking that there's time for us to get this worked out before it's too late. Either we die or Jesus comes back, but we're not even really sure. Uh, I don't know if I can believe that. So we think that we're in this time of neutrality. But the scripture tells us that uh, it's already too late. It's already too late. My kids have this little game. It's called Catchphrase. You guys ever played this game, Catchphrase? It's pretty fun. It's this little electronic device. You hold it in your hands, and, and it shows a little word on the screen, and then you're supposed to try to do about anything verbally or, or physically or anything like that to get your teammates to say the word that you're trying to get them to say. Now, that sounds fun right up until you realize that the entire time you're holding this thing, it's beeping. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, and eventually, ah, time's up. If you're still holding the thing because you couldn't get someone else to guess the word, you lose. Well, newsflash, folks, the cosmic buzzer has already buzzed. Ah. <laughs> Thank you, that made my day. The cosmic buzzer has already buzzed. The judgment has already happened. And the only one found to be faithful is God's one and only son, Jesus. Do we believe him? Do we receive him? Do we trust him? Because if we're trusting anything else, we are fooling ourselves. Matter of fact, our attempts to judge the world go up in smoke in verse 19, this is the verdict. This is the verdict. So put on pause whatever you think the verdict is. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Again, if the truth about who Jesus is is foundational and not just familiar, then we don't want to stay in the darkness we want to come in to the light. We want to come into the light. We cannot do that by choosing it. God has chosen us and has invited us into his kingdom, into this new life, by his power and for his glory. But we get the benefits of that if we will believe and receive them. So there is no neutral, neutral ground. Regardless of what we would like to be true, there is no neutral ground. And so the longer we delay and the longer we stay away, the more we become the very people that uh, are referred to in verses 20 and 21. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Are you hiding in the darkness today? Are you hiding in the darkness hoping that nobody's gonna see? Hoping that God himself won't see? Thinking that you can ride this line where, may, well, maybe someday I'll make a deathbed confession and may, maybe I'll wait till then. The judgment has already occurred and nothing you can do can stop it or change it. Sit with that for a minute. But there is hope. And that hope comes from this unending source of God's love for us in the person of Jesus. He sent his only son for us. 
Do we believe that? Because when we do, then it's Jesus himself who takes us out of the darkness and brings us into the light. Remember we said last week, we do not choose for ourselves to be born. No more spiritually than we were physically born. Unless you would like to send me an email about that, I would really like to know if you chose to be physically born. God's work is what creates this new life that we're not capable of creating for ourselves. Look at Colossians. Paul says, that, says the same thing in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There we go, folks. Jesus has come, and Jesus has accomplished the work that was required in order to free us. He, he, in fact, was exactly who John the Baptist pointed to and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's done it. He's removed the sin for all who believe and trust in him and what he's done. Is that you today? Are you coming to this understanding? I'm happy for you to learn the information because it does matter what we believe. But I'm praying right now for the transformation of your soul. That the Holy Spirit is inviting you right now in these moments to consider where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. Because all of us are in different places. I don't presume to know anything about your spiritual journey. But I do want to ask you a few questions about it. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, God has something for you today. And when we think about this idea of eternal life, most of us, again, are stuck in this framework of thinking, well, that's, that's something for later. That comes later. That comes after we die. Then we get these benefits. Then, then the new kingdom starts. But the simple fact is that this eternal life that Jesus promises is not just about a duration of time. It's about the quality and the meaning and the purpose and the direction of your life in Christ. Will you come to him? Will you let him plan your steps? Because he's already done it. He's planned your steps from before the foundation of the world. Will you come to know him and follow him in those paths that he's already laid out? If you think God doesn't have a plan for you or you are too far beyond God's reach, Reject all that. God loved you enough to send his one and only son so that you can be saved. Believe that. So as we reflect on this good news of who Jesus is, and what he's done, I just want to ask you will, you, will you let the Holy Spirit work in your life? Will you invite the Holy Spirit of God to work in your heart right now in these moments and, and, and consider these things? Is this is this the day? Have you been standing in this non-existent neutral ground for too long and today is the day you come to know who Jesus is? If so, talk to somebody about it. Don't leave here without talking to somebody about it. We have people that will pray with you out here at our care station that will help you understand this new life that you've been given in Christ. Or is today the day that you recognize, wow, I have wandered away from God. 
I have gone back into the cover of darkness. I have tried to hide who I am and what I'm doing from God. Maybe today is the day for you to come back into the light, out of the darkness, into the light. That's what God wants for all of us, no matter where we are. And maybe today is the day that you realize, well, this John 3.16 that I've heard all this time, maybe I've heard it my whole life, maybe I memorized it when I was five years old, maybe I've made signs and held it up at the game, maybe I put it underneath my little eye makeup thing when I'm talking about this, I'm sure it's not called makeup, but uh, maybe I put it under there, maybe I quote it to my friends. Maybe today is the day that you realize these are not just words to be familiar with, but these are words that point to the only one who can get the job done, Jesus. Would you consider that today? Because wherever you are right now in these moments with your relationship with Jesus, know that he loves you so much that he sent what was most precious to him to rescue you, to forgive your sins. In Jesus Christ, he comes to us and says, you are forgiven, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. Believe, trust, and follow this Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you that you do not leave us orphaned, but instead, Lord, you come to us by the power of your Holy Spirit and draw us to you, close to your heart. Reveal to us the truth about Jesus. Reveal to us how he gives us new life and how he accomplishes what we cannot Lord, open our eyes. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth that you have spoken today. Lord, we ask you to illuminate your word so that it's not just information, but it's it's the seeds of transformation that are planted in our hearts that are watered by your Holy Spirit and then grow into a life of faith that follows you, trusts you, and believes you. Thank you for being with us today, Jesus. I pray that you will continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we will never be tempted to think that it's our own logic and reason and understanding that makes the difference, but instead it's you who makes all the difference. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name.